Warning, this podcast features adult subject matter, adult language, and things not meant for children to hear. Viewer discretion is advised. You've been warned. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the I'm No Joe podcast, the place where every armchair quarterback can feel like an Eddie Bravo. Today, we've got a couple of regulars back here to do a little show with us today. We've got a couple more that might drop in. You know how that tends to go. So we'll take it around real quick. First and foremost, the young kid, the young gun, the stunner himself. RJ, how you doing, brother? Uh, doing pretty good, man. Just, just, uh, just another good old Thursday. That's right. That's right. You know how these tend to go. And last but certainly not least, my brother from another mother, my vape homeboy, Golf Tee. How you doing, brother? What's happening, y'all? Doing fan-fucking-tastic. Ready to talk some shit and get excited about what's coming up, even though um, there is some lackluster stuff going on here. Uh, indeed, indeed. It's always always a little bit of the, the hit and miss these days, it seems. So uh, before we jump into the uh, meat and potatoes of this episode, as it were, as we tend to do, there's a, a couple of recent events that have been discussed about and things that have happened just that need to be mentioned recently. So we want to go through just a couple things that are popping off in the world of MMA news before we get to the actual card that we're here to talk about. So the first thing I want to talk about here, it's been almost a week now, so I'm, I'm hoping that you guys have had a chance to see this by now if you didn't catch it live. Uh, Aaron Pico versus Corrales last weekend in Bellator. Aaron Pico came out looking spec-fucking-tacular, drilled Corrales with a beautiful uppercut that put him flat on his ass and had him in big trouble real fast. And then just like a full-on noob, charges in there, tries to Muay Thai clinch and play the gut check game, and Corrales catches him with an overhand that just shuts the whole game down, and he falls back locked up like a fucking video game. Out like a light. For a kid who's got such great hands and such great wrestling background as Aaron Pico, the pros, as it were, are, are all kind of unanimous in their thoughts that this is just a matter of inexperience in the world of MMA and the kid didn't know to recognize and play strategic and he rushed in too young. But I feel like a guy with as much wrestling prowess and as much boxing prowess as he's got knows the trigger when you see a guy's legs go wobbly and you see him plant on his ass and you could tell by watching that fight, Corrales was not back to reality yet when Pico rushed in on him. So he had him at a disadvantage, but not to the point where he could get so cocky as to get that Muay Thai clench and think he's going to body shot him to sleep there. And I just feel like as much as I like Aaron Pico, I feel like the, the pros are selling him short on this and calling it an inexperienced move. I feel like the kid just got cocky rushed in and he got what happens when you get cocky. What do you guys think here? You know, I'm going to go ahead and say the pros are right on. It, that is a rookie mistake. It's not that he doesn't have the boxing prowess or the wrestling. Yeah, boxing and wrestling, when you're separating them, they're two different things. But to pull it all together in mixed martial arts, you can't just run in there because you're not worried about the, just the wrestling part. You're not worried about the just boxing. And to tie somebody up like that, instead of going in 
what would have been smarter on his part, shoot the takedown. Take him his ass down because he was already wobbly. Ground and pound him out. You would have had him done in just a matter of a couple of seconds instead of fucking going out like a fucking light. You burnt the hell out because, to be honest, I think it was a, it was partially a simple miscalculation, but also it was a rookie, it was a rookie type error. Yeah, I mean that's 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 rookie mistake all day, and I mean. The other side of that is if you grab somebody in Muay Thai and you gotta you gotta be careful, you gotta be careful. That could that could that shit could turn sideways real fast. That shit turns sideways on him quick. And even before Corrales hit him with the overhand that put him out, as soon as he grabbed the back of Corrales's neck, it was almost like you saw the switch that like that neck twinge that you get when it's that fight or flight kicks in. And before Corrales caught him with the shot that put him out, he took a shot. And then gave Aaron one right back in the gut. He's like, oh, we're playing the Muay Thai game. My ribs are strong, bitch. How about you? And then when he had him baited into that clinch, he came right over the top. And good night, Sally. Yeah, like a lot of folks have that, have that, have that just go-to combo that'll put somebody on their ass real quick in certain, certain, certain circumstances. Pretty sure that was something that got drilled in that guy's head in training. Well, and that's one of those things that uh, TJ Dillashaw was actually on Rogan's MMA show today, live this afternoon. And I didn't catch the whole thing, but the main part that they talked about for what I saw was TJ talking about Aaron because Aaron trains at the training lab, TJ's gym. And he's talked about like, that kid is a fucking monster on the mat. That kid is a monster on the mitts. It's just, there's, he doesn't quite have it all seamless just yet. And TJ kind of said that it's a little inexperienced, but it's a little he should have known better, and he kind of thinks he might have got caught up in the moment as well. I get it. Looking for that highlight reel knockout. You know, everybody wants one. But yeah. you know what? Your job as a fighter is to fucking win, not to get a fucking highlight. Look, the highlights are nice. They're going to come as long as you're putting everything together. That's how that works. You put your shit together, you're going to get the highlights. If not, you end up getting knocked the fuck out in cases like this because you were looking for the highlight instead of just looking for the finish. Yep, man, that's that's a sad state, and it's it's a true statement at the same time because I, I agree 100%. It seems a lot like the – I don't want to be that guy that says all the new kids, but it seems like a lot of the more up-and-coming guys that are coming into their pro status debuts lately have been – all of them really hungry for that highlight finish. Everybody's headhunting nowadays, and it seems like the, the newer crop doesn't understand that. If you wait, it's that old field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. If you set that knockout up, they'll walk into it. But if you chase it, that shoe tends to get put on the other foot more often than not lately. But that will bring us to the other bellator topic that i wanted to talk about real quick the uh ape man himself ryan darth bader knocking the fuck out old ass fedor Emelianenko. now i love fedor fedor is one of the baddest motherfuckers ever to step foot on this planet Period. Undeniably, he will be in any MMA Hall of Fame that is ever assembled. You can't deny that, man. 
That being said, Fedor is looking at that expiration stamp on the bottom of the packaging, and I think it's drawn real, real, real close. You saw in the Chael Sonnen fight, that power is still there. He could still hit you and fucking hurt you. But you also saw in that Chuck Liddell fight that as these fighters that were legends in their day get older, there's a little bit of weakness showing right about here and right about here. And Tito caught one right here for Chuck, and Bader caught one right here for Fedor. And the fucked up thing is, is it's literally the exact same fake right left overhand combination that he knocked King Mo out with and Fedor was in the front row watching. So Fedor saw the shot that was going to take him out done to the guy before him and then still fucking ate one in like what 39 seconds I think it was. The problem for me here is that Bader in his prime couldn't hold a candle to the mediocrity in the pack at 205 and heavyweight in the UFC. And now all of a sudden he goes to Bellator, which doesn't drug test. They leave it to the local commissions to do the piss test and a cut before you fight and after you fight. They don't run the rigorous USADA. They don't run WADA level testing. And you can tell that a couple of the guys on the Bellator roster are looking a little too lean or a little too muscle masked up for what a clean fighter should be and Bader is one of those guys that people have been given the sniff test ever since he got over there because he all of a sudden is stupid ripped his muscles have muscles and he's starting to kind of look like a young Vitor almost and that his next traps have traps now whether that really plays a significant factor or not the fact is he knocked Fedor the fuck out but the weird thing about that is that now he's the light heavyweight champion. So he's got the light heavyweight gold. He won the heavyweight Grand Prix. So they gave him a heavyweight Grand Prix belt. And in winning the heavyweight Grand Prix, he now becomes the heavyweight champion as well. So he's their champ champ holding the heavyweight and light heavyweight belts. And they gave him the Grand Prix belt. So on the night that he won, he had three awkward-looking belts to hold to show off. And I'm wondering, was the Grand Prix belt really necessary? He was getting the heavyweight belt for winning this Grand Prix. I think this kind of feels like one of those situations where the guy who wears too many chains to let you know he's that rich, and Bellator is kind of making Bator their gold, gold standard. So he's the champ champ with an extra belt to show. And, and it seems to me like Bellator is really starting to bet the farm on Bader being their Conor McGregor, if you will. He's got all the gold. He does all the talking in front of the cameras. He's always wearing a suit nowadays. How do you guys feel about Bator, Bader rather, basically taking over Bellator after this weekend? It's a, to be honest, I think it's a gigantic crock of horse shit. I'll say it. Horse shit. Look, if you're going to fight, fight clean. I don't care what kind of fucking promotion you're in, whether they're not testing or not. If you want to be known as a good fighter, fight fucking clean because the way you are now, go ahead. Try to take your ass back to UFC. You're going to get yourself a quick fucking 12-month ban. 
in a quick hurry because you're going to piss hot in an auto competition drug test and lose it in an auto competition because obviously you're juiced to the fucking ceiling. So, to be honest, it's not the kind of person that I would want as the face of my own fucking. If I had my own fucking little fighting company, that's not the person I want as the face because that's not showing a good face to the general public, especially when, yes, MMA is very widespread now and is a lot more open. However, there's still a lot of people who look very poorly on it. You don't want some fucking juiced up head going in there and being that guy because you know what that does? That sets you back fucking 25 years to UFC 1. Because they're going, oh, it's just human cockfighting again, um, to quote a dead senator here. Um, yep. <laughs> but I, it, it's a bad look. I mean, hats off to you, you won. Stop juicing. Get off the fucking roids. I'll say it. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't say anything about that. That DJ has already said. I can't. I can't. I can't say anything that that already hasn't been said. I think the most disappointing part about it for me is that he immediately, like without hesitation, the second that the crew came in, when he knocked Fader out and he did his little, you know, rage stomp that they all do after a KO because the adrenaline is fucking dumping into your body right now. He does his little cockstrut walk. And then when they put the belt on him, you literally watched his chest just fucking inflate like three sizes and his head just could not lean back enough to look down his nose at everyone that he talked to the rest of that evening. Like, all the interviews he did, the in-ring and then out-of-ring interviews with the fucking belts talking about it, he just, he was looking down his nose at everyone. And I'm just thinking, you know, I get that you're on the come up now as a young fighter, you know, in his, you know, age prime for fighting, but people aren't stupid, man. People aren't stupid. And if it comes to light sooner rather than later, I almost feel like it's going to be better because that dude has clearly got something going on that's sketchy and everybody's calling it out. So I don't know, man. I like Bellator and I like that they're starting to come up and they're starting to put big fights on and they're getting some more eyes on him, but then they go and do stupid shit like this and it just breaks my heart a little bit. But talking about doing stupid shit, another legend in MMA I don't personally care too much for but I will give credit where credit is due and he is a boomerang slinging SOB and for that I gotta fucking love him we're talking about Fabricio Verdum he just got hit for a two-year suspension from USADA from doping and immediately his response was to go on Ariel Awani's new show on ESPN and say that he wants out of his UFC contract. He's under the impression that if the UFC will let him out of his contract now, because he only has two more fights left on his current run, he's under the impression that if the UFC will let him out right now, that he can you know, give up whatever it would cost him to let those other two fights go and would be picked up immediately by another organization where he'll be able to make UFC caliber money. I'm not saying that's not going to happen. 
because he's not a good guy, because he's not a good fighter. I wouldn't say that at all. What I will say is that's not going to happen because Dana White heard that and went, <laughs> no. So as ironic and fucked up as it is, instead of seeing Fabricio in what realistically is starting to be the tail side of his very historic career, we get to watch basically bench warming for the next two years. Dana's not letting him out. Daddy Dana's got the keys to your wristwatch, son, and, and you don't get to do anything until he takes that wristwatch and puts the key in it. And he's just going to dangle it in front of you for two years. He's not going to let you loose. So my hope is that he takes the John Jones route. Get in your gym, get in your garage, and train, train, train. Train every day. Make your appeals in the meantime. See if they can do the reduced sentence thing, something. But keep your ass active so that when you come back after two years and you do those last two fights to get out of your contract, which is obviously going to be the next course of action, that you do it on a high note, that you show people that you're still Verdun. But I don't know if that's what he's actually going to do because now he threw his tantrum, he wants out, and dad told him, no, go to your room and close the door. How do you guys think we're going to end up with Fabricio over the next 24 months or so? Well, God knows. The second you say that in public, before you even talk to Daddy Dana, he's going to tell you no right out of spite. So, one, you done fucked up. Not happening no more. Two, I don't think that it's he won't train, but he's not going to train to the amount that he should. Because, of course, he's going to want to stay in semi-fight shape, and I say semi, because he knows he's not going to fight for the next two years. Right. Oh, when he gets out after his last two fights, whether they be wins or losses on the tail end of your career, he'll probably get picked up by Bellator because they don't give a fuck if you piss off. Unless it's within that two-day window, day of and day after. Right, that, and they're kind of collecting UFC let-goes as well lately. Yeah, they, they're basically, um, I, as much as I hate to say this, they're garbage men. They come and pick up the leftover trash. And I'm not saying that Verdun's trash, because by any means, he's had a phenomenal fucking career. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But it, it's, it's basically like feeding the scraps to the dog. They leave the UFC, and they go to Bellator. And unfortunately for Bellator, that's not a good look either, because you're picking up beat up fighters that they've already had the rope they've already had the wear and tear um so it's a it's a rough call for them don't get me wrong you're picking up a lot of big names that are getting let go but on the other side of it i think it's a waste of their fucking money and time to be honest if verdun was smart which i'm not gonna say that he is or is not I'm going to keep that to myself. He'll hang him up after his last two fights and just fucking call it. I mean, unless he goes on some crazy fucking tear those last two fights where they're overly impressive wins and he's not voided out. True. Then, yeah, by all means, try to make another fucking run. But only if those last two fights, they better be fucking impressive. You better be knocking people out. Or if you are going the distance, it better be so goddamn lopsided that a blind man can call the fight. Right. But that's just my thoughts on it. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. If the, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start off with if he does go anywhere, it would be Bellator. But at this point in time, I really don't think that he'd do much in Bellator because he's he, I mean, and that guy's got the road mileage on him. I don't. I think he's gonna do these, these last two, just hang, just hang it up, start running gyms, and just call it a day for his career as a I think, fighter. I think he has a gym down in Brazil. Yeah, then fucking go back to Brazil. Cause, because uh, because after after that, after the last two fights, I don't I don't see him doing much that would be very impressive. Man's got his road mileage. You got all these young folks that are coming in that can run circles around a motherfucker like you're nothing. Uh, I mean, especially in Bellator. Yeah. Yeah, Look they got the, a lot of young guys that are just eager to chop some names under their belt. Fuck yeah. I'd, 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 I'd say last two fights and that's it. Hang them up. Go, go do something else. Go back to Brazil. Because, you know, motherfuckers from Brazil, you are gods. You are legends. Oh Brazil. yeah, dude. Oh yeah, he could definitely go back and live like a fucking king in Brazil without ever having to step in another octagon. I believe, I agree yeah. completely. Well, so kind of tied to that, ironically, the uh, yin to that to Fabricio's yang here. Um, another gentleman, ironically enough, this week also very publicly asked for his release from the UFC. This one, ironically enough, with three fights left on his contract, and surprisingly enough to everyone except a certain Irishman, Daddy Dana said yes and gave him his walking papers. I'm talking about the one and only the GOAT, Lord Artem Lobov. Now, everybody knew after the Boston situation, he was going to catch some hell from that because we understand that you're Connor's boy, but you're not Connor and you don't have that same fucking pull with the organization that he did, which is why everything is unfolded the way that it has. And Artem's kind of been really stuck in second gear, trying to get any traction going again with all the shit that's been hanging over him on top of having honestly a mediocre uh, record to begin with. Like everybody loves Artem. He's the goat faux show, but you got to win a lot of fights in an impressive manner to stay as popular as Connor does. And if you don't win, you at least got to put on a good fight like Connor does. And Artem isn't always the flashiest or the best, most exciting guy in the octagon. And I think that kind of contributed to why Daddy Dana said, yeah, you can go ahead and go play in another playground. But my question is, with Artem being a free agent and still having the association with Connor that he's always going to fucking have, is anybody else realistically going to want to pick him up? Because it's not like the UFC cut Fabricio loose, where we all know Bellator would chomp at that bit. Look how quick they snatched up Machida. But realistically, do you guys think that Artem's going to get snatched up by somebody else? Or is he going to end up floating back to Russia, hoping to catch a B-list fucking party gig, working the door at a nightclub? You know, he could, in theory, get picked up. I don't think it'll be by Bellator, though. Then it'll be something like a 1FC or something like that, um, where he's st still going to be fighting overseas. He's not going to come stateside here. 
Uh, probably some, I would think of a smaller size promotion like one, something that's fighting out of Japan or something like that. He might pick, go, pick up and go to Russia, but he already has, he has UFC experience. So, yeah, there's a possibility Bellator would want to pick him up, but I don't think they're going to have the, the same – he doesn't have enough draw for them to want to pick him up and play trash man on that one. So I think it'll be something like 1FC where they're that right on the edge. Or who knows, maybe old dumb, dumb Golden Boy Promotions. I mean, that's another option out there that um, with a terrible – just. Just fucking ungodly, just terrible hot mess that that is. They might pick him up. Only because there's one name tied to him, Conor McGregor, and that means he might show up at a press conference with them. And That's true. I, did, I didn't get a little ticket think about that. I didn't even think about that shit. And De La Weirdo is just the type of asshole that might do that too. Well, and um, he's got that whole thing with fuck you Dana right now. So. Exactly, exactly. Just saying maybe that's his key to – Maybe pull Connor a little closer to him then. That's a very good point. I literally didn't think about that till just now, and I think that's a damn good point. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> God damn it. This world's so weird. <laughs> I mean, in the actuality of this being, you know, America, where fighters, uh, a motherfucker gets thrown a uh, decent offer, he's going to run with it. So if somebody at Bellator is like, hey, you know, we'll offer you this for this many fights, this is what you're going to get for your win bonus, this is this, is this, this is that. I mean, they throw the right amount of money, motherfucker's going to say yes. And especially, especially some young kids, with somebody who is backing him like Connor, with just the, the the entirety that comes with being associated with just that name and mixed martial arts, I mean, eh, if he gets the offer, he's gonna fucking run with it. Whether that's Bellator, whether that's somebody in Russia, whether that's a Europe-based program, whether that's One FC, I mean, he gets the right offer, he's gonna fucking take it. That's true. I do the same thing. And actually, right on those lines, now that I think about it, that's actually how, uh, what the fuck is his name? Uh, Justin Wills. Wills or Willis? One of the two. Uh, that's actually how he just got his UFC contract. He was one of the guys that was on that fucking horrendous Golden Boy Promotions fucking fight card for Chuck and Tito. He fought on the undercard and performed very, very meh. He did a lot more. He, he reminded me a lot of uh, uh, the guy that just fought Mark Hunt. Did all his fucking running. Same, same scenario. And the thing is, when he was in the back, he's DC's training partner. So DC was standing in the fucking break in the back with him, giving him a fucking pep talk and shit when the cameras were back there. They go out, DC is sitting in this guy's fucking corner at a Golden Boy Promotions. Next thing you know, the fight's over. Dana calls the kid immediately. They said he offered, Dana offered that kid a contract the next fucking day. That kid's surprising. I'm just saying. (laughs) That's that's absolutely a very good possibility that since it kind of went backwards there, 
that he could definitely be looking to burn Dana and be like, oh, you're going to let Artem go? Well, we got you. We got you. Come, come, play, with our, come play with our kids. Hmm. What a strange fucking world we live in. <laughs> well, and, and tying right to that, so obviously the next thing that we have to talk about is what Tuesday's afternoon revealed to the future of MMA, the Nevada State Athletic Overreaching Commission. Um, the rulings were officially passed down. Um, retroactively inclusive suspensions for Conor McGregor in a term of six months, which means he is eligible to fight again as of March 2nd, and then nine months for Khabib, which means that he is el eligible to fight September 9th, I believe is the date that they gave him to come back. Uh, Conor McGregor was fined $50,000, which he apparently paid immediately, not surprising. 25, I thought. Oh, did they cut it down to 25? Yeah, I think it's at 25 is what I saw. Oh, see. Either way. Still something fucking just for him. Yeah, that's, for that's, him. That's like 50 cents for me. <laughs> right. And then Khabib, they set a fine of a half million dollars, which they're taking out of his prize money, which they are already holding in its entirety. And then they're going to release the rest to him, which he apparently is going to use to pay off the suspension fines for all of his teammates who were also caught up in this. The thing that is interesting now is that Khabib has come out and made a public statement that says he is never fighting in the state of Nevada ever again, thanks to this, which is kind of weird. That's like saying you caught me stealing. and I'm never going to shop in your grocery store again, but you know, whatever. But the thing that this ties directly to is that this falls perfectly in line for what was being set up over the course of the last two weeks or so, which is cowboy versus Connor for a spring card because we've got a card that's available, I think it's March 27th, and Connor's gonna be available again as of March 2nd. Cowboy is cleared and ready to go at any point in time, said he's already back to training, likely to stay in shape. We realistically might have a Connor versus Cowboy fight now in the first quarter, the end of the first quarter of the UFC's ESPN era here. What do you think about how that might shake out? I already know that's not gonna happen. Um, I watched part of the thing today, Daddy Dana said, not happening yet, He's, because they specifically asked him about it. So we know that it's not going to happen. I know I have a good feeling that Connor will fight him. You know what? He likes fighting legends because right? he his whole idea is I want to take out a legend. I mean, he's done tall, though. I mean, well, that and any time he's publicly addressed any call out like that in the history of his career, he's come through on it. Anytime. Yep somebody we're gonna fucking fight you better fucking believe that contract was signed and they got in the octagon or connor signed his side and they backed out i'm not gonna lie i really hope it does just because the trash talk between cowboy and him is gonna be fucking fantastic yeah oh yeah cowboy can sling it too he doesn't very often but he can well and cowboy's got a fucking leather hide for skin like you'll be able to get connor's gonna get under his skin you know he's gonna but it's gonna oh. take some fucking super mosquito level burrowing to do you know what it'll be he'll say something about his fucking grandmother that'll be the straw that breaks his fucking back guaranteed i, I definitely see that possibility but what i think it's going to be is he's going to say something about setting the example for his son Ooh, he's going to say something about being a bad example for danger of sh or showing the kid how to be a loser when you grow up or something and cowboy's going to fucking snap i'm, I'm betting 
Yeah, it could go that route. No, but they they need to make that fight happen because uh, that that's fantastic in itself. Cowboy's a gamer. You know he'll go on there and put in a show. So is Connor. And the best part of that is we know Connor's not going to get wrestle fucked to that. So it'll be a fucking, it'll be a banger is what I think will happen. Yeah, it's going to be a striker's war no matter how it plays out. I don't see that one being a wrestle fuck at all. No. The only way that ends up on the ground is if um, Cowboy decides to take it there because you know Connor's not going to take it there. Yeah, no, Connor's not going to try and shoot on Cowboy. I don't ever see that in a realistic situation. I mean, my thing is Dana is not going to do that. He's going to let the fucking the fucking just hopes and praise build and build and build and build and build and just create an all-star fucking card. Just heavy hitters, fucking top of the class, fucking just fucking rock stars, the legends in a fucking pay-per-view. That's how he's going to set up that with that fight. That's what he's going to do. I, I can, I'll, I'll call it now. He's going to do just a fucking end-all, be-all, fuck that of the card. Well, no, I can, go ahead. I was going to say, I can definitely see that because he does like to hold out on shit to throw a whole bunch of shit together, which is why we end up with cards like we have this week where it's not, eh. it's because yeah. he's saving shit for other events where he knows, oh, I can get a huge fucking gate and a ton of fucking pay-per-view buys. Yeah. Well, and what I was going to say is the other thing you have to take into consideration is as cringy of a fucking move as it was during this last week, Max Holloway made a point to take a trip to Ireland. He went to the Jameson Distillery and did a tour and took a picture and talked some shit with a picture of a bottle of Jameson. He went to the park that Conor McGregor famously used to run around in, and he took pictures all around Ireland and all of Conor McGregor's old stomping grounds after he sent a text at 3 o'clock in the morning to Ariel Hawani and said, watch my Twitter. Very, very clearly, Max Holloway is campaigning passive-aggressively that he wants to go at a shot for Connor. What I'm wondering here, do you think he's trying to draw Connor back to 145? Or do you think this is Max's attempt to jump into 155 and, like, silently leave the featherweight division? Because he's clearly saying something here. You don't do shit like that publicly. I don't know that it's a draw to 145. Because I don't think Connor's going to go back to that ever. He's comfortable at 155. Shit, he'd be comfortable at 165. We've seen it before. You didn't catch weight. But I think it's more that he's trying to draw him out. Because that's his loss. That's his loss right now. And being the champ, guess what? You want to redeem that. And who else better to do it right now? You fucking run that division, period. There is not anybody in there that can touch you. Yep. You made Aldo look like shit. Not once, but twice. Yep. And you put somebody away who everybody thought had a fantastic fucking chance of having a stream and fight. But no, it, it got fucking stopped. Yeah. Like, he would have died in there. 
Literally, yeah. He would have literally died in that fucking cage fighting you. Thank God they were smart enough to stop it. That's the only person in the division that I thought had a remote chance of being able to beat Holloway right now. And guess what? Not happening. So, yeah, it's time to call out old Connor because, you know what, you got to get that W back. I, I understand where he's coming from. You know, it might be a little trashy the way he did it, but it's all right. Um, and the great words of uh, Max Holloway, it is what it is. Very true. The only other thing about it, really, though, at this point, uh, Dan Hardy was talking about it yesterday, said, you know, this makes sense that Max is trying to call Connor back out because that's his first professional loss. That was his introduction to the UFC was Connor McGregor taking him into territory that he'd never seen before and working him in ways that he had never been fought before. And it showed that it was a young Max Holloway. And if you watch his fights, his, look at the fight against T-City and then look at the fight against Connor. And that's two completely different guys. So I completely understand wanting to show that you've developed as a fighter and you've grown as a martial artist and you're ready to avenge your first loss. But at the same time, in that situation, it's generally the guy who got the win who determines whether that gets run back or not, especially in a situation where, yes, Max is probably the best 145er ever to put the fucking gloves on. He is fucking undeniably great and you have to look at that objectively at this point. But Connor doesn't play in the 145 playground anymore. Connor's the guy who's got the W and determines if you get to run that back or not. And he's up in the next weight class now, and he's not showing any signs, like TJ said, of coming back down to 145. We all saw what he was capable of down there, but at the same time, that was a younger Connor and a leaner Connor. And he's a little more bulky now. He's a little stronger now. He's a little slower in his all about approach, but that's directly related to the, the amount of mass and the amount of power he's got now at 155 compared to the skeleton that he was when we saw him weighing in for that fucking Aldo fight going ah on the fucking scale. So realistically, I think as much as I understand Max's attempt to subtly make those jabs, because everybody knows you want to get Connor's attention, you got to fucking jab him. And those were, those were nice little slight hi-yahs. At the same time, Connor's got his eyes on Cowboy right now. And after Cowboy, he's looking to get back at Khabib. So I think what he inadvertently did was give Connor more ammo to hang over his fucking head and tease him while he doesn't fight him. I don't see Connor taking a max rematch until the realistic possibility or the ultimate denial of his chance to go back at Khabib gets run through. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I mean, I mean, really. Y'all say you know it's 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 up to the it's up to the the winner of the fight the winner of the fight it's up to the winner of the fight and then go to Daddy Dana talk to Dana like, oh yeah we can do that but oh, what's gonna make more money what's gonna make more money at the end of the day that's what it's gonna come down to you know if we do this fight with you and Cowboy or you know you and Steve come back at it what's gonna make what's gonna make more money on this card this card and that card can how can we set this up. So that's all what it's going to come down to. Because all three of those fights will be great, great cards running it back. But, I mean, is, I mean, is that going to happen? Well, those are going to be money cards, but. You know, and that brings up one other good point. Money factor. Connor don't yeah. have to fight. 
he's made more money than most fighters are going to make in their entire careers. Absolutely. At this point, yeah, he's living high on the hog. It's for him. It is the money factor. Yeah, he knows he can come and fight Cowboy. He knows he can come and fight Holloway. He knows he can get another fight with fucking old Khabib. But for him, it's all about the scratch. What are they going to offer him? What are they going to offer his proper 12 labeling? What are they going to do for him? It's not about the fight for him anymore, I don't think. Don't get me wrong. It's not that he's not going to go in there and perform. Exactly. He's got money coming in other routes too now. Yeah, the multimedia group, I think, is what he named the conglomeration. Yeah, between um, the Mac life, proper 12, and he's got a a suit line now as well. He's got a bunch of shit going where – Plus the McGregor Fast for fighters. He's got his own patented fasting line for fighters making weight. Yeah, so, I mean, he's he's set on that, but I think, one, the fight has got to interest him, but, two, there's got to be enough scratch involved. If there's not, he ain't showing. It doesn't matter how many times you've run laps around the park he runs in. Yep, I agree. So... The next little thing I want to touch on just real quickly, just because it's one of those weird things in the MMA world that fucking irks me a little bit. And I want to see if I'm the only one here. It's to his credit. It's not an exclusive. I have to see every UFC or I have to see every Bellator. I have to see every rise and I have to see one FC. It's, it's not that way. It's Chris Pratt and his new fucking bandwagon MMA fandom. It started I believe late last year, mid last year, when Dana gave him tickets to an event and they made a whole big fucking press deal out of it because he'd never been to fights before. He'd only seen them on TV and he was super excited to see everything cage side. And there was a couple good matches that night. So, you know, it made for a nice little sound bit. And then you saw him show up on his own. And I think it was the Brooklyn card. And then this last weekend, he came out as the fucking hype man for one of the gentlemen on the Bellator card sat in his corner screaming like he's a fucking corner man and to me it seemed very much like one of us just out of the regular everyday average civilian world coming in and sitting down in a corner and screaming like we actually know what the fuck was going on with this guy's camp like we'd been in there with him for the last eight weeks training and while I, I, I can't knock a guy for wanting to get into MMA, because I fucking love it. We all obviously love it. That's why we're fucking here. That's what we're talking about. At the end of the day, to me, it just seems really disingenuous to me. It seems very much like he's there because he likes the cameras on him. And he knows that if he screams at the cage, that there's going to be pictures taken of it. Kind of like uh, 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 fucking, uh, can't even think of his fucking name. Jack, or not Jackman, uh, Jack Nicholas at the fucking Laker games. He'd wear his sunglasses, he'd scream courtside, and inevitably there'd be a picture of it in the fucking news the next day. It seems to me like Pratt is riding the newfound hype behind MMA, that he's going to be that relatable actor that everybody sees courts or ringside and fucking, you know, latches onto and wants to watch things because of. Is that just me reading in here, or do you see a little bit of that fishiness to him? No, actually, I don't. And here's the reason behind that. The guy that he was hyping actually trains um, stars in, that, in their gym. So they train Chris 
Pratt, Wiz Khalifa, and I forget who else in there. But they actually train them. So, yes, it's a newfound fandom for him, which is fantastic. Another MMA fan, and one that's got a public eye to him as well. That's fantastic. We can always use that in the sport. That's always a wonderful thing. It's kind of like seeing a old boxing events. You're always you are always seeing fucking high profile actors, other fucking sports people there. It's the same concept, but at the same time, I don't think it's necessarily that um, he's just trying to get out there. I really don't. For him, I think it truly is a matter of he's starting to really love the sport. And being the whole hype man thing, I did, part of the reason behind this is I did read a piece on this. And oh, before I even go into that, shout out on the fantastic finish on that choke. That was well done. Yeah, that north-south was clean as fuck when he, he had put a it. fantastic finish in that fight. So yeah, uh, it was it was really good to see him fight well, but I think part of that is because he's training Chris. I, I think part of this is he wanted to help him, and also when that guy came back from Iraq, he was helping U.S. Marines fighting over there. He got captured, and the U.S. Marines saved his ass, yep. and they brought him back stateside, where he's now fighting professionally which is fan-fucking-tastic that's like an american dream story right there hell yeah it is and you know what if it means he's buddies with chris pratt and he wants chris pratt to be in his corner fuck it more power to him i don't think it's a chris pratt being a fanboy though i really don't like it, don't get me wrong i would be fanboying while i'm sitting cage side i don't give a fuck who it is right right but at the same time if he's training in that gym like they say he is, along with those other celebrities, I'm sure it's not to the same level that those guys are training at, right. but he he definitely has some sort of knowledge there then. So he's not just completely flopping in the wind. I mean, he's definitely not to the point where he should be a corner man. I can, I can say that with 100% certainty. Hype man? Yeah. Why the fuck not? Why not have hype men? fucking coming out, waving their hands around all fucking crazy for you, you know? I'm just saying. Makes the sport a little more interesting, at least before the fight even starts. I can see that. And I, and I didn't know that he was training either. That's, that's news to me as well. I knew that he's done a lot of work. He's done a lot of bodybuilding, and he's done a lot of lifting and a lot of fucking serious weight training to get cut for the fucking Star-Lord role. And apparently he did a little bit for the, the uh, Jurassic Park role as well. But I didn't realize that he was doing any actual training either. Oh, going with that, I did see a fucking couple of comments on the article I read that directly related to Star-Lord. Hey, why would you bring Star-Lord to a fight? He always fucks him up. The <laughs> <laughs> last thing you want is fucking Chris Pratt on the sidelines starting to dance off while you're fucking trying to box and shit. <laughs> uh, I'm done. <laughs> I mean... My thought of it is, and I, I did, I, I, I'm pretty sure that me and you probably read the same article. And considering that they fought together, I don't have a single problem with him being in the corner. I kind of have a problem with him being the, the call man at some circumstances. Kind of have a problem with that, but then I don't. Because then, thinking about it, 
because you're training together, you, you, you know, you join, you create like a brotherhood together, you know, you're sweating together, you're throwing these weights together, you know, you're in the same shit. You, you, you create a fucking bond that is fucking tighter than shit. You create a bond with each other. Then, for the, like, Gossie said, you know, he has a, he's a big public figure. In saying that, think about the amount of people that he could get in the, in the MMA, just like he got turned into MMA. That means more MMA fans just off of him becoming a fan. People that don't, that, that don't know MMA, they don't think about it. Like, they're like, oh, Chris Pratt is getting an MMA. You know, maybe I should check this out. Then boom, you just got another, you just got another fan hook. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's what this is. I mean, that's how we all became doing this. We were fans. I think that's, I mean, that's a, that's a good fucking way to create a fan base behind the sport. Is get a fucking celebrity behind it. Very true. Get him to, to train with him. Yeah, that's a good fucking way to create a goddamn fan base. I mean, it's kind of, kind of cheap and, and backdoorish, but I mean, hey, I ain't got a problem. Fan base right. is a fan base. <laughs> well, it was Bellator. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're no strangers. Fan base, though. <laughs> That's very true. Very true. So, the next thing I want to talk about real quick here, they have confirmed it this week. It is set. It is happening. Wonder Boy makes his return to the cage against Anthony Pettis, moving up to 170 for a temporary fight before he comes back down to 155. Eesh. I mean. On one hand, I'm glad to see that Pettis is healed up because apparently his wrist was fractured in that fight against Tony. So he was apparently injured. It's good to see that he's taken some time off. He let himself heal up and that in, in healing up, he ballooned up a little bit. So instead of trying to rush his body back to 155, he agreed to take this fight at 170 so the cut would be a little easier on him. And then after the 170 fight, then he can get back to the hard work and get back down to the regular 155 that he wants to stay at. But at the same time, I'm immediately reminded of a statement that Cowboy made when he was talking about going up to 170. In that he realizes that everybody does a little bit of weight cutting to get down, but he didn't realize that the difference in the amount of weight that the guys cutting to get down to 155 make versus the guys that cut down to fight at the 170 level make. And if you look at Wonder Boy out of competition, like when he did a couple of the press interviews this week, that boy stickered in the Snickers. And then you look at Pettis at his biggest, he's like, not small, but I don't know if the combination of taking time off to heal and fighting at 170 against a dude like Wonder Boy to begin with, but then a dude as big as Wonder Boy, because he's a large fellow. I don't know if this is going to be a smart move for Pettis. I understand wanting to take a fight to keep your name out there, to keep active. And, you know, on the other hand, it's also a little bit of a challenge because he's not a 170 guy traditionally. But I think realistically, this might be a bad move for Pettis, at least in my eyes here, because one, he's got a chance of getting the living shit beat out of him by Wonder Boy, because that boy's fucking dangerous everywhere. And he's also coming off the anger of Till and fucking Woodley beating him and both talking shit about him afterwards. But I think that this is going to be a little too 
for lack of a better terms, Connor-esque in that if you're not a 170 or and you're not used to 170, 170 dudes are going to ragdoll you like fucking Nate did the first time that Connor fought him at 170. That's a different division. That's 20 fucking pounds, 15 pounds rather different than what you're used to competing at. And whether you're bigger now and you're trying to translate, that's not the same as being acclimated to fighting at 170 like a Wonder Boy is. I think this is going to be a bad night for Pettis. What do you guys think? Well, you're right on with that. That's going to be a bad night for Pettis. That is not a good look for you, Pettis. Sorry, buddy. I love you because you're a Wisconsin boy. But at the same time, that is not the way to reintroduce yourself after injury. Especially not somebody of the caliber of Wonder Boy. I mean, but I'm just saying here, Pettis is going to get knocked out. I'm going to call it now. Long before we even get into fight hype or anything, I already know what's going to happen. I love Pettis, but one, he's not going to be able to close the distance. Because the Wonder Boy is kind of lanky, especially for that weight class. Yeah, he's a long 170. Yeah, and you look at Pettis when he's down at fucking 155, he's about average with the rest of them at 155. So that jump up, that's a big gap to cover, not just the weight-wise, but just the length. Yeah, the reach distance is going to be... Yeah, that's going to be a huge thing for him, and he's never really fought guys that are that much lankier than him, because even if you go all the way back to fucking WEC days, when he, he was fighting with the likes of fucking Benson Henderson at the time, those two about the same reach. There might have been an inch either way, but still he's never had to deal with that so it's a bad look for that and also the power aspect that power aspect is a whole different beast when you jump up 15 pounds yep there's a reason why a lot of people want to cut weight because they know they can't compete at that power level where the some of those guys if like wonder boy when you looked at him he's probably looking a solid i would venture to guess 210 like he's probably yeah, I think he's, he's, that he, he's probably close to two hundred, right around the two hundred pound mark, where he's yeah, going to drop at least thirty pounds for the yeah. fight. In yeah. don't get me wrong, he's going to do it. He's going to do it smoothly up until that last little bit where they do the power cut at the end. But at this same point, I, between length that he's got to cover distance and power, it's not going to be a good night. And I don't care how healed up your hand is, you're going to have to have some fucking lucky shit happen that night. And it's not that you're not a good fighter. You are. You've been the champ. You have highlight finishes. And not because you were looking for them. They just so happened to come. Just another one of those examples I'm saying. Young guns, don't go looking for the fucking highlight real knockouts. Just let the game come to you. Right. But, yeah, it's going to be a bad night for Pettis. Yeah. Uh, you know, like you said, like – Moving up class to class to class, there's a whole different power curve, whether it's power on the ground, power in the hand. There's a whole different power curve going fight to fight. Like I won't I won't step out I went and step out of Phantom. Because I, I'm I'm comfortable there. I've never I've never fought anything else. I've never I've never done that. I haven't lived that life. And you coming off of an injury saying I'll take I'll take 
you know, I'll take this fight in a, in a weight class where I've never fought before. I've never trained that weight class. I don't, I don't, I don't know that class. Dude, you are making a stupid fucking mistake. I mean, everybody gets lucky from time to time. I mean, it'd be pretty fucking spectacular to see, to see something happen. But I mean, I just don't see that happening. Regardless of if it was Wonder Boy or if it's somebody else, and you're in a you're, that's a whole another ball game. That's a that's a whole another ball game. Going going class to class, that's a different fucking ball game. That's a different beat. I agree, and and especially in a situation like this, where not only are you stepping out of your comfort zone to a class that you've never fought before, you're taking on arguably one of the best top five in the fucking division, who's shown why he is top five in that fucking division. That boy is long, he has great range, and he has great distance control, as well as that crazy fucking sideways karate stance that not a lot of people can fucking deal with, man. And I know that Anthony has got some fucking karate stance shit that he does himself, but that's not his go-to spot. He's still a fighter. He's still a brawler at heart, and he gets in there and he gets the fucking swing in him. I just don't know if he's going to be ready for the fucking shitstorm that Wonder Boy's inevitably going to throw at him. <sighs> Poor Pettis. But we'll move on from there to keep this rolling here. One more thing that, that we've got to talk about that's going to be talked about for the rest of the year until it gets run back. TJ Dillashaw versus Henry Cejudo. The fucking shocker of shockers of fucking shockers. Now, I am very vocal in how displeased I am with the outcome of this fight. Not because of Henry's performance, but because of Mark Goddard's. Henry clipped TJ, and he clipped him clean. And even TJ said this afternoon, he didn't expect that. That is nothing like the TJ that they, or the uh, Henry rather, that they trained for. That's not Cejudo's typical style. Props to Henry for coming out a completely different fighter, and it fucking worked. He caught TJ, he caught him clean, he caught him hard, and he caught him early, and he fucked him all kinds of up. But if you have ever seen any of TJ Dillashaw's fucking illustrious career highlights of fights, that boy can get put on his ass, staring into swirling cartoon birds and stars, and two seconds later be on his feet, completely coherent, and swinging to take your fucking head off your shoulders. In this situation, it has been slow-mode and reversed angled every which way under the sun since the fight has ended, and it is clear as daylight that when Mark Goddard jumped in to stop that fight, TJ, yes, was on the ground, but had shot a single leg and had Henry's leg pulled out from underneath him and was getting ready to drive forward and try and take Henry off his fucking feet when the ref stopped him. He was turned away. He was dodging punches. He was actively defending himself and putting an aggressive single leg against Henry, and they stopped the fucking fight. And then, of course, as is his fucking tradition at this point in the game, the second the fight is over, Henry begins talking shit, trying to call out TJ for his 135 belt, talking about immediately leaving the flyweight division after saving it. I have watched this ending no less than a dozen times in the last week, and I cannot in any way, shape, or form understand 
from his perspective, how the fuck you stop that fight in that scenario during a champ versus champ fight to give him that little of an opportunity to recover himself when he's actively moving. How do you guys feel the stoppage came down? It was bad. It was just a plain poor stoppage. I mean, anyone who's in those weight classes, one the 135, 145, anybody in those, for lack of better terms, what I'm going to call super tiny motherfuckers, uh, they recover so goddamn quickly. If it happens like that in the first round, you should give it a little extra time because you know what? The recovery period for them in the beginning of a fight is so much quicker than a heavyweight. Don't get me wrong. That's a heavyweight. Yes. Stop that motherfucker because some serious damage can be done. When they're little like that, don't get me wrong. They can, they still got some bang behind them, but not to that point. Don't get me wrong. That was a clean ass clip behind the ear. He fucking got him square shit. He, he had him dead to nuts on that, but he also recovered. I'm just saying, poor stoppage. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I want to blame Goddard, but at the same time, I can't. His job is to protect the fighters. He has to go off of instinct alone. And from I can understand from his angle, it looked like he was getting fucked up. For the rest of us who saw it, it really wasn't that bad. I mean... Don't get me wrong. It looked bad at first because that whole that, fucking yeah, glass. The, the second clip definitely had him looking into the fucking bleachers for yeah. sure. That's what's and, and, and I, I seen that. I seen that clear as day, but I also seen how fast he was recovering once he hit the ground. Yeah. It's To be honest, for me, once he hit that ground, it looked more like a flash knockout because you saw him start to come back to immediately. Yep, right away. Yeah. Flash knockouts are a thing. They happen. It comes with fighting. It's, what are you going to do? Fuck, you can have a flash knockout because you slip in your goddamn bathtub, hit your head, and you'll pop right back up. And that's only because you knocked yourself out, and then the second time your head hit the tub, it woke you back up. Same concept. But it was, I can't say that it was a bad stoppage. I don't agree with the stoppage because I think it should have went longer. However... On the other side of that, I have to play devil's advocate. His job is to protect the fighters. And you know what? I don't want to see fighters have their careers ended because of a poor ref not stepping in when they should. Very true. But, so, yes, I'm not happy with the way it ended. Just to be honest, I'm not going to lie. I don't like either one of them. But I would have much rather have seen Cejudo get his shit kicked in and then go, oh, I couldn't save the division because I'm a lousy sack of shit. <laughs> but that is what it is. To be honest, when they, I'm not going to say if, I'm going to say when they run that back because it's going to happen. Oh, yeah. TJ is going to go in there and he's going to kick Cejudo's shit in. That's just what's going to happen. Pray to God, whoever it is, does not make an early stoppage like that. Even if it's a Hudo that gets flash knocked out, please right. give him the chance. Because you know what? Both of those two are fucking champs. There's no way that should have been stopped early. Look at, um, for example, let's go heavyweight. 
let's go back to was it Brock Lesnar and Shane Carwin. Shane Carwin was beating the fucking brakes off of Lesnar. They could have stopped that fight and gave the title to Carwin, but they allowed it to go on. And Lesnar came back and won. Not that I like Lesnar. I like his attitude and the way he talks shit because I think it's fucking hilarious. Right. But I think that's because he's lived in the WWE land for too long. But that's neither here nor there. That's one of those things where if you're the champ, you have to give them the opportunity to continue. Yes, he wasn't fighting for his belt, but TJ needed the opportunity to continue, and he was not granted that or afforded it. And he, it wasn't like he was limper, fucking stiff on the fucking mat. He was still moving, and he was still up. And he finished on his knees at that point, yeah. getting ready to pop up for that single. Yep. But it was, it, it was a bad stoppage, but at the same time, it was a smart stoppage. Just purely on the fact of, yes, you got to save the fighters, but at the same time, when it comes to championship fights and – you have two champs in there. It's not like it was the champ was getting beat up. We got to give him just a little bit more time. It's two champs. Those motherfuckers know what they're in there to do. It's not like they haven't been there before. Let them duke it out a little bit. Not 30 fucking some seconds into the fight. Well, and that Lesnar fight is actually a really great example of, of what you're talking about there. Because if you watch that fight, both of those guys got the shit beat out of them and got full-on, arguably, stoppage-worthy fucking wobbled and rocked repeatedly. There was about a dozen different points in that fight where arguably that fight could have been stopped and it wouldn't really have been contested because that dude on either side was fucked Bill and came back and was just ridiculous power exchange after ridiculous power exchange, and you could see the repercussions because they were fucking hammering each other and kept coming back. And I, and I agree completely. I, that's, that's a great example here of why I feel that this fight should have been given more of a chance. Yeah, I, I can't, I can't, I honestly can't say again, anything that has already been said. I mean, it's a rough job at the end of the day to, to do his job and protect the fighters. So, I mean, that was a, that was a bad call. Bad call. Regardless of, if there was a chance, there wasn't a chance. Like, I'm, as TJ said, um, one of those small motherfuckers. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I'm, th- that's me. Hi. Uh, I'm one of those guys. Uh, we fucking bounce back quicker than shit. I mean, you, I mean, you gotta, you gotta let them, let them hit the ground, give it about 30 to 45 seconds and see what happens. If they're not trying to make forward movement, forward progress, and then then it's it's I mean that'd be comfortable. Okay, it's over. I mean, give them more than fucking five seconds to try and try and get back up on his feet, or try and set something up so he can move forward. But in the the, the heat of the moment, arrest is arrest, and they can only call it as they see fit in the heat of the moment. So you can't be you could be mad with it, but you still have to respect the decision of in the moment i'm only seeing this angle very true very true so a couple more little points i want to hit on here real quick before we get into the card for this coming up weekend um some of the awards for best knockout best fight best performance best up-and-comer some of the 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 
individualized awards have been given out throughout the years from some of the writers and some of the commentators and the, the fan votes and things like that. And one of the awards that I was looking over that was given out this year that has me kind of scratching my beard a little bit here, the knockout of the year was awarded to a fight that we all talked about and went crazy over, Yair Rodriguez versus the Korean Zombie. That four minute, 59 second in the fucking last round, reverse upside down, blind fucking elbow that lucky fucking stars landed and dropped the fucking zombie to give that fight to Yair with his face looking like fucking hamburger. On one hand, I will absolutely acknowledge that that was a fucking one-of-a-kind, glorious, highlight reel knockout. That was fucking ridiculous. That It looked like a fucking cartoon anime kung fu move that should never really work in the octagon, and it just so happened to fucking work. And I'm willing to acknowledge that that looked beautiful from an outside point of view. But from someone who watched that fight, and saw how lucky that fucking landing was, and especially compared to some of the other notable Francis versus Overeem <clears throat> knockouts that happened during last year, where people's fucking soul was astrally projected out of their fucking body. I don't understand how Yair's <laughs> can take knockout of the year. Now, is, is that just me, or do you guys think that there might have been a couple better shots that might have gotten knockout of the year worthy? I can count more than I have on my fucking fingers and toes that were better than that. Don't get me wrong. That's a cool fucking highlight because it's some shit you're probably never going to see again. Right. But I think because look who's giving the award. Start there. Look who's giving the award. They're not fighters. They're media fucking just uh, sports writers. I'm not going to call them idiots because they're, they're sports writers. I get it. But at the same time, not a one of those motherfuckers is really paying attention. They're like, that one just looked the coolest. That's why we're going with that. Because that shit did look cool. I'm not going to lie. I was fucking jaw-dropped and going, wow, that's really? fucking cool. But I also went, if you just rolled that 20-sided dice, you hit 20 on the fucking nuts. Because there's no way in hell that you'll ever pull that off again in competition, ever. In fact, I don't think you even trained that shit. That was a last-minute desperation, I'm losing this fucking fight throw. And he yeah. was losing the fight. Look at him. Oh, yeah. He was beat. He, he looked like the Punisher got a hold of him. Like, he slammed his face in some fucking glass. Like, he only wants him to remember one name, and it's the Korean fucking zombie. He should have won that fight, but you know what? Even the sun shines on a dog's ass every once in a while. That's how that fucking worked out. So no, that should not have been the fucking knockout of the year. Whoever the dumb cocksucker was that said, yeah, we should throw that one up there for a vote, should go jump in front of a truck because you were a useless pile of dog shit. In fact, maybe you take your dog with you so the sun will shine on your dog's ass while you get hit by the truck. So, we, so I was I was actually at the, the, the gym today and we were talking about some of these. Uh, and one of my trainers was talking about it and he was just 
were talking about this particular one because they actually were reading them off while we were at the gym and they were getting a little water break. Uh, and one of my trainers said, knockout, if you're going to have a knockout of the year, have it to be something that can be recreated at least one other time. If you're gonna, if you're gonna get somebody a knockout of the year, give it to something that could be recreated. Every now and then you get those crazy ass, just out of the blue, lucky, fucking shot. Sometimes, yeah, you could, you could, you could give a motherfucker a knockout of the year. But I mean, you're not protecting yourself in a situation such as that elbow. You're not protecting yourself. That's not a smart move because you're setting yourself up to get pretty fucked up. Is a whole whole section of your fucking body is unprotected, and I I I I looked at I, I listened to him and I was like shit that's a pretty good fucking idea. That's a good fucking idea. Yeah, especially with you. You got to think like if you think greatest knockout of twenty eighteen, the first thing that stands out in my mind is fucking Francis putting Overeem into orbit, man. Like, there was, granted, like we said, that that fucking Yair elbow was definitely a flashy holy shit, that just happened kind of thing. But at the same time, that Francis versus Overeem uppercut from hell was played on SportsCenter before there was ESPN with UFC. That shit was on every MMA highlight page. That shit had rookies talking about it. That shit had casuals talking about how Ngannou was such a terrifying fucking striker because that dude caught one of the greatest Overeem off guard in boxing, which is one of his specialties, and just bent his neck back like a fucking Stretch Armstrong doll. Like, there was some good ones in 2018, and, and while – that might have been flashy. I don't get how that was KO of the year, aside from, like TJ said, the folks that were voting here, because I'm pretty sure if you would have pulled the uh, roster fighters, that wouldn't even have been in the discussion. You know, I've got one other thing to add to that. For Yair, that is his Anthony Pettis moment. That's what that That's is. That's right. That's right. That's his Anthony Pettis moment. That'll be forever in his highlight reel. You'll always see it in every lead-up to every one of his fights. Yeah. Because it's I, some shit you'll never see happen again. I agree. I agree completely. I didn't even think about that. That really is. That's his pet is bouncing off the cage. No shit. Fucking kids these days, I tell you. <laughs> so, just a couple more things I want to hit here real quick before we get to the card. Um, one that we didn't see coming quite this way, but we kind of anticipated it was going to go this way. And I, I am, I'm, as sad as it is, I'm happy that it turned out this way. And that is Dennis Bermudez and retiring as a fighter at the right time. As much as it makes me sad as an MMA fan to see Bermudez hang him up, at the same time, that man has had a fucking great career he has put on historic and undeniably memorable fights, and he has enough cognizant and conscious ability and awareness of his ability fading and realism in himself to know that he is not going to be able to keep competing at the level that he should be, and he retired after a great win. And I think 
as much as we mess around and we joke about guys who should hang them up and who should have hung them up, but they still don't. And guys that step out too early when they shouldn't have, I feel like in this situation, Dennis Bermudez is one of those great representatives that we can look back to over the next developing phase of MMA and point younger fighters to, to say, look, you don't have to always go for the gold or go home. When you finally realize that you aren't doing what you should be able to in your mind to compete at the level, there's no shame in bowing out. It's better to go out gracefully as an intelligent man who still has the option to make a living for himself the rest of his life than to end up mumbling like Muhammad Ali. And that's, that's no offense to Ali because everybody knows that man was the fucking greatest of the great. But he is a perfect example of what happens when you hang around too long in the combat world. And as, as much as it, it hurts to use him as an example here, if you look at Muhammad Ali just trying to carry on an average sentence here, no one wants to see any more icons end up in that status. They don't want to see the greats end up as, as a sad state like that. And I think that Bermudez, by bowing out the way that he did and the timing that he did, is, is going to almost set the standard for you don't have to be a 45-year-old man chasing that last chance. If you can't get there and you're okay with that, have some fucking grace and step out when you're still able to. That was uh honestly he had a fantastic victory that night. He looked he looked phenomenal. Absolutely. Was I disappointed that he hung him up? Yeah. Cause after that victory he looked like he had a good run left in him. But on the other side of that coin, it, like you said, it's that one thing we always talk about. It's knowing when to hang it up. There's a lot of fighters out there that don't understand that. I get it. Everybody wants to be the champ. Unfortunately, that pool is pretty fucking deep. So you're lucky when you get up there or even get the shot at the title. But you know what? If you've been having that long run of a career, Bermuda's had a fantastic career too. It's not like he was some slouch. He really wasn't. He he was a fucking brawler. He would go in there and bang. He would he just fucking he made for interesting fights. I mean, just the last portion of the last couple fights he had didn't look so well. He didn't look like he was fully in it. This last one, he looked like he was fucking back in it. And I was like, all right, we're, we're back on track. He said, I'm going to hang him up. And I was like, you know what? My fucking hat's off to you, sir, because you knew. You knew what was going on. You knew coming in before that fight even started that you were going to hang him up. You didn't care. You knew that was the end. That was your last draw. What a way to fucking go out with a W. Calling it a day. I'm going to go spend some time with my family. Pick up my other career opportunities that I've got sitting on the back burner. Because you know he went in there ready. So he has already got something going on. Whether he's going to be training other up-and-coming fighters. Whatever the case may be. You know what? I hope he is. Because you know what? In my opinion... Those fighters that do hang it up that are legends that have fantastic careers, I hope they take the time to pass on their knowledge to improve someone else's game that maybe they can train that person into a champ. So you know what? That's it's for me that should be part of their mindset is giving back to a sport that's given so much to them. Because 
yes, the fame, the money, and all that comes with it, but give something back. Well, and just the knowledge that a guy like Bermudez could pass on to a younger fighter, to an up-and-coming guy, like, uh, aside from the, the fucking the hats-off reason that we're talking about him here for knowing when to hang it up intelligently, but for moving through his career so fucking intelligently as, as it was, he never took stupid fights. He never got crazy. He never got sloppy. He's not a guy that you know for rushing in blind. He always fought technically. He always fought intelligently. His fight IQ was always very great. You could see him reacting in time throughout all of his fights to what was going on. He, he literally just was the definition, in my opinion, of a great fighter who just never got to hold that top of the mountain like he possibly could have or, sh or should have in some situations. But I feel like exactly what you're saying here. The, the thing for me ideally would be to see him transition into a role where he has something to do, whether it's his own gym or whether he's just taking up a coaching role. I would love to see Dennis Bermudez now move into the side where he's helping up and coming fighters. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one thing is, like y'all said, is knowing when to put it up. But you can look at the fight that we just talked about at the very opening of this. Uh, and be like, yeah, it's, it's time uh, you, you, you hang him up. Uh, uh, talking about legends. Get, getting to be time where you need to hang him up. You're starting to get a life, trying to give a little lackluster performance, you know. But if you can, if you can look at yourself, it's like, all right, dude, I'm, this is it for me. This is it. Like, one, and it, it immense amount of respect to you as a fighter and as just a human being to not be cocky and to keep fucking pushing yourself and pushing yourself and pushing yourself and pretty much turn yourself into fucking nothing whenever you whenever you actually are forced to retire or you retire yourself. I mean, there's a whole lot of respect to go off and be like, this is it. And another thing that TJ said is uh, he gave a fucking beautiful performance. Gave the absolutely beautiful performance. I think if he knew that he was that this, this is it for me, regardless of the outcome of the fight, so it's a W for you, so he's taking an L. I think that he that he would have he fucking set himself up, got get, got in his head, and put into a mindset. I'm gonna fucking knock this shit out. I'm fucking going in. I'm not. I'm not holding anything back. I'm just gonna let the fucking flag fly. I'm letting this shit go. This is my last fight. I've been. I'm fucking going out with a bang. I agree. Well, and even it, if, it seems like he really Even if he lost. Even if he lost. With that sort of performance, fucking fans, family, fucking fellow fighters would have a, still an immense amount of respect and that would be a hell of a way to go out. With a W or not, even if you lost with a performance as well as that, that would be a fucking hell of a way to go. Yeah, I agree. That'd be and a hell of a way to go. Out there with that, this is going to be at hell or high water, so I'm going to just fucking let it all go kind of mentality. And it, it sure as hell worked, man. That was a great fucking yeah. performance. And like TJ said, I was right there as well. When he fucking ended that shit, my first thought was, he's on a fucking tear again. He's fucking hot. You better watch your ass because that man's coming for the fucking top. 
And then that fucking hard left turn came when he got the microphone and he fucking laid him down. That's good. I mean, I mean, with with his with with his name and his influence in mixed martial arts, just the things that he could do, things that he could do would be immense. It'd be beautiful to see what he does in the future. Hell yeah. So, one more quick thing I want to talk about before we jump into the uh, the fights coming up this weekend that I want to run through. Um, we talked about this guy. And we talked about this guy and we went over a bunch of reasons why we didn't fucking agree with, with him even being there. And it seems like through the fates of the MMA gods, we were proven right, but not for the reason that we thought it was going to be. Now I'm talking about Greg Hardy. Now, none of us agreed that he should have been there to begin with. And aside from the outside of the octagon reasons that we agreed that he shouldn't be there, one of the main points that a lot of people have been talking about this week in hindsight, ironically enough, was that not only should he not have been there because of the importance of the outside of the card reasons, but because this was his first co-main event in a guy who's only been fighting in MMA for less than a year and who has less than a dozen fights under his belt total. Aside from all of the other reasons which are now getting more and more numerous as to why this guy shouldn't be doing what he's doing, one of the biggest problems with what happened on that card was you took a guy who doesn't know the spotlight for the MMA world, which is arguably very different than the football world and you thrust him into that spotlight in a situation where just aside from everything else, as a fighter, he was too green to be thrust into. And the result of that fight was that he threw what was immediately deemed an illegal knee to a downed opponent and was disqualified. The reason I want to talk about this is because I've heard a lot of talk either way, and I'm curious to hear what you gentlemen think about this. In regards to the knee, I can't remember the gentleman's name off the top of my head right now that he was fighting, but he had both feet and one hand completely down and was wobbling off the third. Arguably could have been a touchdown or, or pickup situation, but he was still clearly a downed opponent, and that knee was intentional as fuck. Now, whether it was bad timing, whether it was bad judgment on the placement of the hands, it was a disqualifying knee. My question is, do you guys think that he threw that knee out of lack of experience, not knowing that that was a downed opponent? Or do you think that that was just a shady fucking move and he got caught on it? Because the more that I watch that fight, I'm leaning towards the latter here. I, I, I want to give a young fighter the benefit of the doubt, but in this situation, you watch the fight, you know the backstory on this guy, it seems to me like he was throwing a shady fucking knee in the heat of the moment and didn't give a shit that the guy's hand was down. He was trying to win in glorious fashion because he's a fucking co-main of that. All right. I'm going to say this right off the get-go. Regardless of how I feel about him being in the UFC or fighting professionally, period, I'm going to set all of that aside for this. And then afterwards, fuck him. Um, but... In regards to the fucking knee, he was he was getting worked. He was getting worked. 
because he's green. He's a new fighter. He was in there with somebody with a lot more experience that was working him, taking him into deeper waters. That shit, that fucking knee, that was not accidental at all. That wasn't a rookie mistake. They tell those motherfuckers the rules in the back again before they bring them out. Every fucking fighter goes through the same thing. You know when you're fighting in whatever sanction you're fighting in, whether they adopted the new unified rules or not. So you know what a downed opponent is wherever you're at. You took that as an easy way out because you knew you were getting worked. You were going to get worked some more. You just happened to be in a good enough position at the time to throw an illegal knee and pray to God you weren't going to get caught. You got caught. So no, it's not a rookie mistake in this case. That was clear as fucking day. Two hands on the head and the fucking knee, that's on purpose. That's not an accident. Well, I didn't know he was grounded. The fuck you didn't. He could have been on his belly in two seconds. The motherfucker had weight on his hand. And the thing is, with those new unified rules, I don't think people fully understand this. Is There has to be weight on the hands. You can't just reach down there and tickle the mat. There has to be weight on at least one of the hands. So if you have weight on your hands, you are a downed opponent, whether your knees are on the canvas or not. But there has to be weight there. Not just, oh, I'm going to reach down so that way I don't get knees. No. He had fucking clear as day weight on his hands. And he could see that long before he grabbed his fucking head. So, yeah, not accidental. That shit was on purpose. He got caught up. Not a rookie mistake. And now for this. Fuck you, Hardy. You shouldn't be fighting. Go end your life by putting a gun in your mouth and pulling the trigger. Because the world would be a better place without fucking wife beaters like you. You can go fuck yourself. I agree profusely. Yeah, uh I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna follow that up and uh I, I honestly being somebody that that does this sort of stuff, that fights and all that. Um, I don't care if it's your first fight. You've been training enough and you have been talked to enough about learning down opponents and learning your knees and what to do and what not to do. I, so there's, to me, I, there, there's no such thing as a, work, of a working mistake, whether you're a professional or you're an amateur fighter. I don't, I don't believe in the always rookie mistake unless it was I moved in too fast and got caught with a hook on the chin. I don't, that's something I don't believe in. Uh, two, I, 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 I watched that fight. I got off of work in, in time to, to catch that fight and the fight before. Uh, I, he, he's getting fucked up. So either he was doing that to get out of the fight or he was doing that to get a little dig in and be like, Fuck you. Those are the only, those are the only two only two ways you can look at that. Fuck the rookie mistake. That's out of the window. You're a professional fighter. Whether you deserve it or not, you're a professional fighter. So it's either fuck you for doing this and that and other thing, or the, I'm, I'm, I'm losing this fight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little dirty. I'm going to fuck you up real quick. 
give you a nice knee to the head and fuck your shit up. There's only two ways you can look at it. Also, speaking of this, we, I, we, we talked about with that, about the, the, the dad and the son scenario and on my end. Yep. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the son Kamora, the, uh, uh, the, the father broke the fuck out of the Nice. Nice. That's a little karma. Karma. That's a little karma. karma. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not one to advocate for serious injuries of individuals on a general basis, but in this situation, I think that's a fair statement to say oh, that. The karma, fuck out of his arm. Yeah, Carmo's enacted a little bit on that one. <laughs> he fucking cinched in a fucking Kimura out of nowhere and shattered that motherfucker. <laughs> he just got up and walked away, walked right out of the cage, didn't say anything. There's no, your winner is, he just will fucking left. <laughs> They want to be a part of that. That's awesome. <sighs> Fucking great. So, that brings us to the meat and potatoes, if you will, of, of this particular episode. The the main event, that, or not the main event, the, the event itself that we're talking about this coming up weekend is the UFC Fight Night Brazil, Asuncial versus Marais 2. So... Before we get to the main card, there's a couple of the prelims that I do want to talk about real quick here just to give a glance because there's some interesting things going on on this card. It's not a big flashy card. There's not a, big, a lot of big names on this card. There's not a lot of really important for their division kind of fights on this card. It's really more of a, a filler card to help keep the action going along. So like TJ said, so they can set up some bigger fights later on in the year. But there are a couple that I do feel that are worth mentioning here. So the first one we're going to talk about on the prelims is Ricardo Ramos, who is making a hell of a run coming at it now, versus Saeed Nurmagomedov. Now, Saeed is Khabib's cousin. He is the third Nurmagomedov to get inducted into the UFC and is now fighting to help establish the Dagestani faction of wrestlers in the UFC that they are bringing in. So the interesting thing about this fight is that Saeed only has one professional loss as an MMA fighter. And that is to, let me see if I can say this man's name correctly, Dobibliotonikov. That's probably not it. That's probably a horrible misrepresentation of it. But the only guy that has ever been able to beat this particular Nurmagomedov is that gentleman. And it was one of his first fights. That being said, the interesting thing about that is that that gentleman is opening this card. That gentleman is the first fight on the prelims. And then after that, you get Saeed Nurmagomedov versus Ricardo Ramos. So it's going to be an interesting little mental dichotomy. Even though it's not a big-name card, there's definitely still some mental Daddy Dana kind of games getting played here. They're going to let the guy who has the only victory over Nurmagomedov open the card, and then Nurmagomedov fights immediately after that against Ricardo Ramos, who arguably is on a tear and with a win over Nurmagomedov in a, a notable fashion here, could realistically put his name to start climbing the numbered ranks here. So I feel it's worth mentioning. I, I do think that Ramos has got the fire, but if Nurmagomedov has the wrestling skills of his cousin, this is going to be a tough match for him because Ramos is a nice striker. He's got a decent ground game, but everybody's seen those Nurmagomedov boys on the mats, and they're, they're problems for strikers. And if that's how this ends up going down, I think Nurmagomedov might have the edge here. I'm just going to say I hope not because I hate watching wrestle fucking. 
if I really want to watch wrestling, I'm going to go watch college wrestling because you know what? At least then I know I'm getting in for it. Don't get me wrong. I'll go watch college wrestling because it's an interesting sport. Yeah. But I don't want to see it in mixed martial arts. I don't want to see somebody getting wrestle fucked and, oh, I'm going to pat you with my baby fist because <laughs> I can't strike standing up. Look, don't get me wrong. The Dagestani wrestling is fucking real. It's fucking real as shit. We know that. But y'all want to do MMA, work on your stand-up, mix it up a little bit. Don't just wrestle fuck people. I'm not even going to call a winner because I don't fucking care on this. It pisses me off. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, was it uh, Ramos? That that guy's been fucking. He's been getting it as of late. But the, the the only thing the only thing that you can really say is, so one has wrestling, one's good on his feet. The only thing that Ramos really has is he has like an inch or in, or an inch or two reach. So he has to fucking he has to play smart to not get taken down. He's got to keep he's got to keep that fucking reach game going. He's got to keep the reach game going. He's got to be careful. Because, like y'all said, them boys are fucking trouble. Yep. They got, they got, some, they got some fucking skill on the ground. So he's got, to, he's, he's got to be careful. He's got to be fucking good on stepping out takedowns. He's got to be on his toes. Absolutely. So the next one that I want to talk about real quick, and this – I'm I'm kind of an asshole like this. This really doesn't have too much to curtail with the actual fight itself. But uh, I, I have to mention Junior Baby Albini versus – okay, now hang on. This one is a hell of a fucking name. Jair Zinhyo Rosenstrick. And I'm sure that's not right, but holy hell, that's a hell of a name. So the second guy – I have no idea who the fuck he is. I could not find any good footage, any good reporting, any stats. He doesn't even have a fucking picture on the UFC roster page. He's literally one of those grayed out, like, you haven't unlocked this character yet mode pictures for his fucking profile on the fight. That's how fucking little this guy has known about him. But the reason I want to talk about this is because Albini, Junior Baby Albini, might be the worst fucking nickname for an MMA fighter you could possibly fucking have. And then if you look at his fucking profile, he wears all white shorts that bubble up, so he looks like he's wearing a fucking diaper. On top of that, between his fucking derp face that he just can't seem to get rid of and his overly rotund dad bod that he steps in the ring proudly with, he immediately and instantly, every fucking time I see him, reminds me of the old baby Huey cartoons. He's a wobble <laughs> in a diaper. And what makes it worse is the fucking guy is one and two in the UFC. His one win was over a fucking way out of his sorts Ben Rothwell. And he's lost. <laughs> two in a row in arguably horrible fashion, but they keep fucking putting this guy on cards. <laughs> oh, I don't oh, fucking get it. I get it. I, I get it. It's because they want to see him in that fucking Speedo again. 
It's it's so ridiculous. Like it's his fucking profile picture because that's what he wears every time they let him. It's an all white set of shorts that are too fucking poofy. It's it, well, look at what he's fought in. Look at look at his fight attire when he goes in. It's a fucking speedo. You sir belong in Europe somewhere because yeah. that shit is allowable in Europe. It doesn't matter how big you are. You're okay to wear a speedo or how furry. Doesn't matter. You're in the wrong place, buddy. I don't want to see dudes in the UFC rocking squirrels in a hammock. Like, dude. <sighs> yeah, I'll second everything you said about that because that's, that's all there is to that. that. That fight means fucking nothing. Yeah, like. What are you uh, talking about? It's pretty hot. <laughs> <laughs> like, hot stuff, man. As ironic as it is, that's one of the saving graces for me for this card is that there's there's no real big name events on this card. There's no real big fucking division shaking up fights, but you're going to laugh through this whole fucking fight unless, God forbid, somebody gets a fucking crazy crack knockout, which doesn't really seem realistically possible in this situation. Granted, there's always a strange chance, but this to me is almost like an intermission comic exhibition. They're going to bring this dude out waddling, and the only thing that can make it better is if they had a fat kid playing a sousaphone followed him out to the fucking octagon. <sighs> oh, they just, they missed the mark sometimes. But the other fight that I actually do want to talk about real quick on the prelims here is a bit of an odd matchup that I don't really know anybody would have jumped out of their socks to make but it does seem like it's going to be an interesting banger. And, and in my opinion, it's probably going to be the wa most watcher, most anticipated, the biggest potential for bang for your buck fight on the prelim cards. And that is Tiago Alves versus Max Griffin back at 155. So Tiago Alves has bounced around several divisions. He can't seem to find a home. He can't seem to put it together. He's 27 and 13 as a pro. That's not a great record. And at this point, he's on the tail end of his career. He's been around for a long time. He's one of those guys that we talk about that's got fucking road miles on road miles on road miles. And he, realistically, he's running out of time, in my opinion, as somebody who used to have a little flash in the pan. And it's kind of turned to a dull sizzle at this point, really. He's on a two-fight losing streak. And nothing really stands out as encouraging to make me think that this is going to be the one that he turns it all around in, especially in a guy against Max Griffin, who, to be fair, lost his fucking UFC debut to Colby Covington and has since went two and three in the UFC, 14 and five total record. Not that Max is a world breaker or that he's, you know, the hottest shit coming, but Max lost his debut to Colby and hasn't, like, really been the same fighter since you can see him slowly starting to evolve he's starting to put it together a little better he hit a rough patch but he's he's definitely getting there as opposed to alves who has fucking been around for so long and has been in so many fucking wars and it just he seems like one of those guys to me that win or lose realistically he has to start looking at it being time to start hanging it up real soon he can't seem to find a home in a division. He can't seem to find the momentum to keep any kind of win streak together here. He's on a two-fight loss streak. I feel like this is a chance for Max Griffin to come in 
prove that he's learning and he's developing as a fighter and put away a guy like Tiago Alves, who, for the record, that isn't even his real fucking name. He did the typical Brazilian thing and he adopted the name of the fucking Jim. Alves is not his fucking name. That's so weird that they do that, but whatever. But it feels like Alves, or uh, Alves, that Griffin has a chance here to come in, put on a performance like he's been on a roll starting to get his fucking steam together take Tiago Alves out and start to climb that rank and send Alves into that fucking gatekeeper slash garbage man role and just really get his name out of contention here. What do you guys think about Alves having any chance left, really? You know, you know what they call the end of a, a life for a lot of things? They call it their spawn song. I think this is it. Unless he fucking all of a sudden looks like um, God stuck his fucking hand up his ass and started working him like a puppet to win the fight. He ought to fucking hang him up because he had a good tear at one point. He did. Like he was, he's always been exciting to watch. I'll give him that. But lately he's not that same guy. He's. It seems like he lost a step. It, it really does. Yeah, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, knowing when to hang him up. I don't think he understands that. I get it. You, you're a fighter at heart. You want to fight. I get that. That's what you've known for so fucking long. Because he's been around the UFC for a long fucking time. Hot fucking minute, yeah. Dude, just... I get it. There's loyalty to the company. The company is definitely loyal to you because a lot of other fucking places would have cut your ass already. And a lot of guys with worse records than him have been cut for fucking worse performances than him. So, yeah, clearly I agree. They like him. I'm just saying, it's time to hang it up, dude. I appreciate everything you've done for the sport, the tears that you've been on before, but you're not there anymore. You're not that same fighter. It's time to call it, dude. Win, lose, or draw, this fight, dude, lay him down in the middle of the fucking octagon when you're done, take him off and set him there. Call it a day. We thank you for your service and the entertainment you have provided and the warrior that you've been. But you're done, dude. I'm sorry, you ain't winning this fight. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't see, I don't see uh, Alves coming out on top on this. I mean, one thing that you meter said, uh, they actually have the last three fights identical. Loss, win, loss. Identical on both of them. So either come in and prove yourself that you're a good fighter or, you know, especially for, for Alves, because he's getting up there a road mile. He's been beaten down and brought back up and beaten back down to shit again. I mean, you can only do that so many times, and I think it's this is this is this is it. He's 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 done a great great things for the sport, but I mean that Max is a, is Max. I can't call him a young buck, but he's newer to the sport. He's got a head of steam. Yeah, he's well, still he feels like he has a head of steam, but he's he still has a lot going for him. Yeah, and it, especially if he can get. A W like this. I mean, the kid's got reach. He's got, you know, that that fire in him still. He still got that fire. I mean, he still has something to prove for himself. He still has something to prove for his camp, for who supports him. So I mean, 
you need to step up to the plate and knock the shit the fuck out. You need to do something with yourself. I agree. So that brings us to the main card. I'm going to try and run down these fairly quickly here because there's really not a whole lot to talk about, but the fights themselves do bear mentioning to the folks who, who haven't learned what the card is just quite yet here. So the first one that I want to talk about for just a second, because this young man deserves a little bit of fucking highlight, in my opinion. It is the opening fight. It is Johnny Walker, great fucking name, versus Justin Ledette. Now, to his credit, Ledette is 3-1 and one in the UFC. He's made his debut. He's starting to get a little fight behind him, a little, little steam, a little momentum going. The problem is he's 3-1. Excuse me, he's three and one against fucking nobodies. None of the people he has beat have any kind of recognizable name. They're not going to do anything for the fucking needle moving as far as your fanship goes. On the other hand, Johnny Walker just made his fucking debut in the UFC against one of my personal favorite underdogs, Khalil Roundtree Jr. Now, I've been a fan of Roundtree Jr. since he was on The Ultimate Fighter. That dude is a bad motherfucker. He just has had a bad shake after a bad shake. He was just starting to get a little momentum behind himself going. And then he met Johnny Walker and Johnny Walker worked this motherfucker like a part-time job and ended Khalil Roundtree's run with one of the smoothest and cleanest pop elbow from clinch drops that I have seen in recent years. And he walked him across the octagon doing it. He had Roundtree hurt. He had him in trouble. He tight clinched the back of the neck and he marched him forward across the whole octagon until he had him up to the cage on the other side. And when you saw Roundtree's shoulder hit the, the fence and kind of turn his body a little bit, Walker followed it up with a fucking beautiful Matt Brown-esque elbow that just put Roundtree down and out, and he laid him to the ground and walked away. The kid is a fucking prospect. And if he's smart, he's going to come and walk right through Justin Ledette and keep that fucking momentum going. I think this kid, if he plays his fucking cards right, has a damn good chance of making a fucking name for himself in the UFC. I mean, you know, Johnny Walker has a tendency to put motherfuckers on our ass pretty quick. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to say that. I'm over here giggling about it. So I actually wrote that down. <laughs> no. Every time I see his name, I just think of the fucking top hat emblem, and I'm like, that's a great fucking name. <laughs> I mean, Johnny Walker has a tendency to put him on their ass. I just want to know what label is he. That's all I want to know. Right? Very true. Black label. Black label. It's classic. It's a vintage. Classy. Classy indeed. So, <laughs> the next one we're going to talk about here real quick. This has got interesting potential, and it definitely deserves to be mentioned because this has to be one of the most anticipated, in my opinion, fights on the main card itself. And it's not because of the people, because I don't really particularly care for either one of the fighters, but it's because of the stylistic matchup that this has created that people seem to have missed out on. And that is Charles Dubronx Oliveira versus David Tamor. Now, the Tamor brothers are known for having great wrestling great striking, great fight IQ. On the other hand, Charles Bronx Oliveira currently holds the record for the most submissions in UFC history, which he has added to three fights in a row consecutively. He is the Cowboy Cerrone of submissions in the UFC. Not only is he holding that record, but he's pushing it every fucking fight to a level that people are going to have a real hard time catching up to. And it's not that I particularly care for either one of these guys. I, I'm not really a huge fan of either one of them, but I respect styles and I respect ability. 
And both of these guys have a very, very strong style and a very strong ability of their own. And I think stylistically, this matchup is going to make for some interesting, interesting fight watching. It will. Um, one, look at submissions. Uh, his, his submissions, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is fucking phenomenal, obviously. Otherwise, he would not be finishing people the way he is. Yeah. Oh, on the other side of this, fucking wrestling's fantastic there. Now, this classic wrestling versus jujitsu when it comes to MMA, you see this a lot. How um I don't know that David is gonna have enough wrestling prowess to hold off to jujitsu attack of Oliveira. Uh, the reason for this being, a lot of times you watch those, if you have a really strong grappler in the jiu-jitsu side of the house versus a really strong wrestling grappler, a lot of times that wrestling can nullify the jiu-jitsu. But I do not think that that's going to be the case this time. Because I don't think it, don't get me wrong, you're a strong wrestler, but you're not a great wrestler. Right. Um, case point, Ben Askrens. You are no Ben Askrens. I'm going to say that clean fucking outright. You're not a Khabib. You're not anybody of the Dagestani variety. So, you know, you're not going to hold a candle to his jiu-jitsu. I hate to say it, but jiu-jitsu wins this one. And it's not that I hate to say that. It's just that most of the time it goes the other route with wrestlers. I'm I'm inclined to agree completely here. I'm... Like I said, I'm not really the biggest David Tamer fan, but I have been following the the Tamer brothers' wrestling careers for a good little bit of time here because they are, like I said, I'll give props where props are due, whether I like it or not. And the Tamer brothers can wrestle their fucking asses off. They've also both got some decent striking. That being said, you don't get a guy like Oliveira to hold a fucking submission record and extend it consecutively like that because he's kind of good at submissions. His wrestling game is great, but his jiu-jitsu game is fucking scary. And I think in this situation, Tamer's going to definitely have some wrestling prowess, but I think it might fall short against Oliveira's jiu-jitsu. I mean, but then you, 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 have, you have to look at, at like, I, lately I've been looking back into the last, you know, two years of fights. Oliveira's lost fucking one of the last, like, six fights that he's been. He lost one. So, I mean, that says something for you as a fighter. His last, like, like, and I was back, I think it was like 2016 on most fighters. Yeah. He's lost one fight since, you know, I, I fucking started fighting before the amateur league. He's lost one. That says something for fucking you as a fighter, for you as a person in, in a fucking sport industry. Lost one. You can't fucking compete with that shit. I agree. I think realistically, I think this is going to be one of the most slept on fights on this card. I think the the, the style of those two fighters and the, the ability that they both have in their own right is going to make this one of the one of the best fights on the card, in my opinion. But jumping forward from there, here's another one that, you know, like I said, it's not really a big name fight. It's not really going to be a needle mover as far as the division goes. It's not going to really bump anybody's rankings up, but it's something that it's going to be another one of those, depending on how it plays out, on which version of the fighters, if you will, shows up from either corner. This is going to be another potentially great fucking matchup here. And that is Damian Maya versus Lyman Good. 
Damian Maya, everybody knows, is one of the world's greatest Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners. The problem is that we have seen through his last dozen or so fights that he does not hold up well against wrestlers and he does not hold up well against good strikers who can keep the distance on him. If you can keep him from taking that leg, you can pound Damian Maya into the mat all day long. And there's been a couple of really brutal examples of that lately in his career. And that kind of hurts to watch as well. When you talk about a guy who, to his credit, he's still ranked number eight in the division, but he's also 25 and nine at this point. And the last couple of L's have been seriously big and devastating L's. Whereas on the other side of this, this octagon here, you've got Lyman Good, who's 20 and four. He's still fairly young. He's coming into his prime now. And this kid, looks like a fucking Spartan soldier. The dude has abs on abs and he's V-shaped and he's quick and he's smart and he's strong. So I feel like this is going to be one of those situations where we're going to either find out that Damian Maya has learned from the mistakes that have been capitalized on against him and his recent most you know devastating losses here and he's changed his game plan up and he's gotten back to that Maya that we all knew that could be a motherfucker of motherfuckers. Or Lyman Good is coming through to put a feather in his cap and take out a fucking legend here. And I think it really comes down to which version of Damian Maya do we see this weekend? Do we see the Damian Maya who we knew can come in there with a great fight IQ and adapt to what you're doing and then throw his fucking jujitsu on you and end your fucking night? Or do we see the guy who just repeatedly shoots for fucking single legs and gets his face mashed in by a bigger guy in Lyman Good who knows his striking and knows his range control and has seen that that works against Maya? I'm inclined to go as much as it hurts me to say, I, I have to go for Lyman Good in this fight. Um, I'm actually going to second your notion on this one because as much as I know of him, Maya does get a hold of him. That's a game ender for him. Um, but I, just watching his last two fights, he did this. He, he he was the definition of insanity. He was doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results, and it wasn't fucking working. Uh, hopefully, because I do like Damian Maya. I I do enjoy watching him choke and armbar the shit out of people. But if he hasn't learned from those mistakes, he's going to have a really long night. The only other way that he can possibly win this fight, and this is because I look at Lyman good, because he is such a muscle-bound cocksucker, muscles eat a whole lot of oxygen. So unless he can take him deep waters to the third round, like middle of the third, and then get a hold of him, I don't foresee it working out well for him. Yeah, that's, and that's a very good point, too, is that Lyman is fucking ripped. And historically speaking, the guys that are super fucking muscle-bound like that don't always have the greatest cardio. They can't go into the deep waters like a guy like Maya, who we've seen. And it's and it's not lie. even yeah, – it, it, to be honest, it's a thing that has to do with the way your body works. Muscles eat more oxygen, period. Not to mention, you're also going to get the dump of all of those acids going back into the muscles after you've used them. That's just how your body's physical composition works. There's no other way around it. You can train for days, but when you're that big and muscle-bound, 
you're still going to have cardio issues. And it's not that you might not be able to run 10 miles because you can probably do it. But it's not the same when you're putting it into full motion in a fight situation. But to be honest, I still think he gets the W because I'm pretty sure that Maya has not learned because he used that same technique for so goddamn long. Now that people have it figured out, I think this is that part of that career where you got to start thinking, should I hang it up? Because my old dog is not learning a new trick right now. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if I'm, if, if, if I'm coming to this fight and I'm, and I'm good, I'm looking at, I'm looking at all the last few fights, how he, how Maya's been, been broken down. I love Maya the fighter, uh, but I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick apart exactly how he was broken down. And I'm gonna I'm gonna train those a little bit more. And I'm gonna have a backup plan if he's gotten his shit together and he's trained to work with that and kind of protect himself more and not as TJ said and for lack of better word, be insane. But I'm gonna like if I'm if I'm naming good, I'm I'm coming in, I'm coming in, I'm picking them apart, I'm training that. And because nine times out of ten, if a fighter has been picked apart the exact same way consecutively, most of them they don't fucking catch on very fucking quick. Either them or their corner doesn't and their team doesn't. They don't catch on very fast, they're like, okay, this is good. this is how they're doing it. This is where you're getting fucked. You're not doing this. You need to do this. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use the last year of fights. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fucking break this motherfucker down. Again, especially since he's a young kid coming into this, and he's got a head of steam on him. He's got something to fucking prove for himself. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a problem seeing good fucking, fucking walk away with this one. I'd actually, I'd actually really, really enjoy seeing that. I agree, and and it sucks because as a as a longtime MMA fan, Damian Maya is one of those guys that in the early days really started getting me into the 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 aspect of wanting to learn more about jujitsu because you saw this little guy going up against all the fucking monsters and the dudes that you thought would just pound him in the ground like a fucking railroad spike. And back in the day, he was snapping arms and fucking breaking ankles like there was nobody's business. And he was doing it so fucking smoothly and effortlessly that you, for a good while there, really had to stop and wonder, like, how the fuck can you stop this guy? Because he could dodge the strikes and he could catch you on the counters and he would choke you the fuck out when you thought you were good. And then you've seen the last couple of fights and he's just, he's really starting to hit that, that downward decline and it's starting to snowball on him, I feel. And I think Lyman Good's got his number here. So that brings us to a weird point. So the co-main event for this card originally was not going to be the co-main event for this card. The co-main event was originally scheduled to be the main event for this card. The reason it was originally going to Brazil for this particular fight night. And then something changed, something that doesn't traditionally happen. And it, it's kind of created a little bit of doubt in the MMA world here. What I'm talking about is Jose Aldo back at 145 against Hanato Moicano. So... For one thing here, 
I'm not really sure why Aldo is going back to 145 after Max very clearly and dominantly proved that he's never going back to the top of that heat. On top of that, Aldo looked pretty fucking good at 155, legitimately. He looked pretty fucking good at 155. And then you take into consideration that Max showed Aldo he's not at the top of the heap. T-City has recognized or, or established that he is number two in that division. And then the guy who Aldo is fighting here, Hanato Moicano, was the backup for both Max Holloway and T-City in their match. He is the number three 145 guy. He's the next top of that stack that Aldo has been kicked clear off of. The weird thing about this is that it was going to be main event, Aldo versus Moicano. Aldo specifically went to Dana White and asked for this to be bumped to the co-main and taken off of the main event because he didn't want a five-round match. He only wanted a three-round fight. That throws all kinds of weird red flags up for me as a fan and as somebody who's been watching the moves that Aldo's been making lately. As a guy who was doing decent at 155, granted he wasn't ready to go face Khabib and try and take that belt away yet, but he was building steam at 155 and showing, at least to me, that he had way more potential to hang at 155 than he did at 145, down where the killers are really getting serious. And then for him to just come back down to 145 and not only come back down, but then go up against arguably the gatekeeper for the title shot and ask specifically for it to only be three instead of five when he could have had a main event. I kind of feel like this might be that moment where Aldo is getting ready to, to throw his gloves down in the center of the octagon, come win or lose here. And that being in Brazil, he didn't want to make it a five-round fight because I really don't think that he could take Moicano in five rounds. And I think, at least from what I'm seeing here, that this is going to be potentially Aldo's last fight. That This might be where he's in Brazil, he's the co-main, so his name is still on the fucking banners and the posters and shit. But I feel like this is going to be the moment where we potentially see Aldo hang his gloves up. What do you guys think? I, I, I want to say something really, really quick. Since you said that, I'm kind of glad that I looked back at years past. He's won two fights since 2016. Both of them were in the 55ers. Yes, sir. So i strong believer in what you just said, that he is going to, that this is it, especially if he's going to make a fucking statement and say, take me off the main. If you're doing that, you you're fucking you're done. You're you're this is it for you. I this mean, is it. This you're. Who's done that? Who who in the history, at least in the last decade that I can think of off the top of my head, who has asked publicly to be taken off of a main event to bring it to a three round instead of a five round where you're the main and you're the draw? <clears throat> you know, this is my thoughts on that. He might hang him up. I don't think he's ready. Not not with as well as he looked at 155. I I think very well the reason why he asked for this to be co-main event because of the weight cut for him. And yeah. moving back to that, 
look at um look at how Max picked him apart. He didn't he took him into the deep water. When he got into the deep water, he slows way the fuck down compared to like he's a he's quick as shit. But he slows way, way down in those deeper waters. Yeah, very true. So I think with this dropping back to one forty five for this fight. That's going to take some out of your gas tank. Doesn't matter who you are, because that's an extra ten pounds that you're cutting from the one fifty-five that you just bought at the last two times. And historically, anybody who can get him past the third round generally wins the fight because he is so slow, and you can watch his will fade in after the third round. Look at um the last the first look at the let's say. For example, let's look at the first fight with Max Holloway. Second, that third round was over. You just watched him fucking just faded clean out. You watched the will to fight leave him. Partially because he was getting picked apart and the pace was getting steadily increased on him. He can't keep that pace anymore. Part of that, I think, has to do with his age. Part of that has to do with his war miles. Because look, everybody has, in my opinion, they have a hit clock is what I like to call it. You can only get punched so many goddamn times. It doesn't matter who you are. Everybody has a certain clock where you're going to hit that one point and you're fucking done. He's getting to that point on his hit clock. Because a lot of, look at his, when his younger fights, like all the way back to WEC. He's taken a lot of damage over the years. Granted, he's always overcome those up until he got KO'd by fucking McGregor and then torn apart by Max Holloway twice. Right. But he was taking damage up through those as well. Yes, he was dominant in those fights, but he was taking it. But over the course of your career, as long as it has been, it's catching up to him. So I think part of that is He's worried about his gas tank at 145, which is probably why he asked for it. And you know what? I can't fault him for that. I can fault him for you just took yourself out of the money because you're not the main event. However, the other side of it, it might be for him, it might be a smart career choice, especially if he's planning on continuing at 155. Right. So, I mean, but on the other side of it, it very well could be a swan song too. It might be, you know what? Fuck it. I don't need to go five rounds in my last fight of my career. I'm just going to go in there, do what I got to do, and call it a day. It might be that. I don't know that he's going to lay him down. I don't think he's ready to because his last two wins looked pretty goddamn good, to be honest. Yeah, he really did. I mean, so I don't think it's a hang-up thing. I think it's a gas tank issue here. He's worried about his gas tank. But the kicker with that is is there's going to be a time that comes up when he starts fighting back at 155 if that's what he does. He's going to have to fight a five-round fight, period. It's not an option at that point. You're going to end up just having to do it because they're eventually, if you're doing well enough, you're going to get a title shot, and your name's Jose Aldo. Right. It's not going to take you long to climb the ladder and get fights you want purely on your name. That's all I'm saying. Well, and the fucked up thing about it is, is Moicano is a dude who could easily go five full rounds with, in, in my opinion – just about anybody in the 145 pound division. I think realistically, Moicano, it, 
with a victory over Aldo here, I think Moicano pretty much secures himself as the next guy to face Max at 145 if Max doesn't bail and go to 55. And I think this is kind of a, a weird situation here. I think if Aldo beats Moicano, I think the only thing you can do next is Aldo versus T-City because you can't put Aldo Holloway 3 up if he beats Moicano. On the other side of that card, though, if Moicano can put away Aldo the way that, that Max has twice now, I think there's no question that you can't let Max go to 55, but you have to give Moicano the chance to take that belt from him because stylistically, they're really kind of similar. Size-wise, they're really kind of similar. There's a reason that they let Moicano be the backup for both Ortega and Holloway in that fucking fight because realistically, he's the next guy in fucking line, and stylistically, him and Max will make a great fucking matchup. I think it is as odd as it is to look at it this way. I think Moicano takes it. And I, I agree with what you're saying here. I, I definitely see where this could be. Although just trying to test the gas tank back at 145, trying to make it a shorter cut. But I feel like this was the wrong fight to make that choice. And I think Moicano is a guy that can hold the pedal to the floor, just like Max did. And I think that even three rounds for Aldo is going to be a bad night against Moicano. So with that being said, <laughs> that brings us to the main, uh, whatever, you know, the thing, the big fight. The main. Now, I will say this. Asuncio versus Morais 2 is a fight that had to happen eventually. It, it's, it was a close fight the first time around. It has potential to be a close fight the second time around. My problem is that neither one of these guys are top of the stack. Neither one, this fight, it, a win for either one of these guys in this fight doesn't thrust you into the limelight. It doesn't make you a title contender. It doesn't make you the next guy. It either avenges a loss or it proves that the first fight wasn't a fluke. And two guys who are not terrible, but are, are solidly and justifiably middle of the pack. This is kind of what I was talking about when I meant that this card doesn't really have any big names. It doesn't have any big draws. There's no big needle mover here. The main event doesn't really affect your division either way, win or loss, no matter who takes this. That being said, I personally think that the hype around Marlon Marais is a little undeserved. And I think that Asuncio is getting a little bit overlooked. I think he's getting a little bit of an underdog status here. And I think that that might work to his advantage here. I personally think Asuncio is going to take this, but I think Marais is going to make it a battle. I think he's going to come in there and be the typical one-punch man that everybody calls him out to be, and he's going to try and put it down. But I feel like Asuncio has got his number. I think that this one, this this time the W comes home for Asuncio. I think you're right on that because um, I think he'll end up outworking him because look at – Marais has been known to be you know, just a single-punch thrower. You don't see a lot of heavy combinations out of him. Whereas on the other side of this, Javier Sancha is he's known to put in work. He'll work and pick. He's not gonna don't get me wrong, he's got the knockout power there, so he can he can make it happen. But he'll pick him apart long before he's gonna go into a haymaker battle with him. I don't foresee it being a fucking barn burner of a 
who lands the first haymaker because that's not going to happen. Right. I mean, don't get me wrong. Marias catches him, though. That's a night ender because he does have one punch knockout power. It's there. We know that. We've seen it. But I don't foresee it going his way. He hasn't evolved enough to be able to stick with somebody who's trying to pick him apart. W's going a sunshine's way. Terrible fucking um, main event, though. What a fucking shit show. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna conform with the group here. Okay, this is a pretty, uh, pretty shit main. Uh, and again, I'm gonna conform with the group and 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 agree, <laughs> agree. Uh, Suncio is gonna is gonna walk away with it. I. And this is this this really sucks because I love like fucking matches that are running the back. You know, your number twos, your number threes. But like, this is just this is just not one that is really wanted or needed currently. I agree. I, I like to refer to these as the the rematch that no one asked for. Yeah. Like not not that it, it's not a fight that should have been run back because that's why I said I I do agree that this fight did need to be run back just so. You know, you get the chance to avenge that loss or prove that it wasn't a fluke. But at the same time, I don't think this was fight night main event material. That being said, I'm not Daddy Dana, so I don't get to make that call. But that's all we've got for this upcoming weekend in Brazil. So I will have this up before the fight. So hopefully we can get a couple views in, get a couple folks to either call us on our bullshit or, or agree with us here and see how that goes. But we're going to call that all for this one here. So we'll take it around real quick. Thank you gentlemen, both for your time. I appreciate that. I know that you both have lives independently of this shit show that I do. Thank you for taking the time away from to come hang out with me. So before we head on out of here, RJ, tell them how the folk can get a hold of you. If they want to keep the conversation going here. Um, I mean, you get a hold of me on Instagram at RJ underscore underscore vape, RJ vapes on YouTube. And, uh, it was good, uh, again, to be back. Um, something else that's coming up, since I don't know if we're going to have a show this Thursday, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. Uh, I believe it's 10 days, not the next, not the Monday coming up in a few days, but the Monday after. I have a fucking fight I'm getting in on. Uh, number three spot, and. Uh, uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Apparently, I have another. I'm I'm getting signed up for another one in March, so it's gonna be fucking fun. Hell yeah! And we will absolutely promote the shit out of that as soon as we get all the uh, the uh, official information here. So this one, I don't think they've got they, they they've gotten the contract for it yet. But the second one, I know they have a contract to sign up a whole lot of streaming services and a broadcast. Nice. So the next one for sure, uh, I can give you all some info on Hell yeah. Can't wait, brother. Can't wait. Thank you again for your time. So that brings us over to the man with the plan here. TJ, tell them how the folks can get a hold of you if they want to keep this shit talking going. You're muted. Fucking muted. Awesome. Oh, <laughs> I did it again. Fucking tired. I'm up past my bedtime, so there you go. 
fucking Wednesday nights, 9.30 Central Time. You can catch me on Golf D-Vapes on YouTube. Usually about an hour and a half, two hour long show. Hang out, shoot the shit, uh, get into some shenanigans. You can also find me on the Instagrizzles, Golf D-Vapes, all one word. And that, it's a fantastic hanging out with you. Again, I'm up past my bedtime. So I'll see all you guys on the next round. Absolutely. So your bedtime is like 9 o'clock, right? <laughs> Fucking A, right? I'm an old man. Kona says, Zingers this episode. <laughs> all right. So, gentlemen, thank you both for your time. I appreciate both your inputs here. Your perspectives are always appreciated here. I love that you guys can definitely give me different points of view that I don't seem to think about here. And the fans always do appreciate having a little bit of perspective besides just my fucking mouth running. So we're going to wrap that up. We're going to call it all. This is all we've got for the UFC Fight Night Brazil card. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in. If you liked the video, give it a thumbs up. If you think we're full of shit, give us a thumbs down. We earned it. But if we caught your attention, please give us a subscribe and maybe a follow us so a friend can hear about this and we can help grow the show. But that's all we've got for now. So thank you again for tuning in to the I'm No Joe broadcast. Don't let ignorance stop you. You can root for anything. Have a good night, folks.